uh, over the course of maybe a few years, I don't really know the time frame, but he embezzled thousands of dollars from his employer who happened to be a, a, a family member. Um, that would make a pretty awkward family reunion, I would think. Um, and, you know, we all know family, family after family who, who just gets completely shredded and ripped apart because there's a dad that just refuses to take a position of humility and um, instead of using his words to tear, uh, to, to build the next generation, he uses his words to tear them down. Um, and you know, we only have to look probably, you know, inside of our own families a, a short distance to find an example of that. Um, and it just really just makes me think, why does faith sometimes, why can faith be so dysfunctional sometimes? Why, why is that? Um, you know, what's happening here? Uh, you know, I watched a man on the news this week make a just a horrible fool of himself, and and you know I didn't really know who this person was, and I just did a little research, and I was even then I wished I wouldn't have because I realized he was a devout Christian, um, and so the horrible fool that he was making himself, that he was making out of himself, he was doing in the name of Jesus, and I was it was it it just um, it was terrifying. We don't have to look hard to find something that's done under the banner of Christianity that really just makes our skin crawl. And, uh, and frankly, there's nothing that challenges my faith more than looking at some of the dysfunction that happens in the name of Jesus. And so I guess I have to ask, you, you feel an inspiration now? <laughs> How are you feeling? Uh, glad you're here this morning. Uh, so... It's encouraging to me, I guess, to realize that we're not alone, that um, this, these are the same kinds of problems that Paul wrestled with in his, in his letter that he wrote to his protege, uh, Titus. Um, he was dealing with this exact same concern. He, he, in fact, it was said of some of the people in his churches that they were always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Their prophets said that about their own people. Always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. So dysfunctional, fractured faith is not a new phenomenon. It's, it's not new with this generation. It's not new with you know, the, our cultural realities. Uh, it's, 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 it's been around. That being said, it's something to fight against, and it's the reason that Paul wrote this letter to the, in, in, in Titus. Um, so we're going to look at some of the language that Paul used himself to describe the relationship between, the very contentious relationship, I would add, between faith and works. Um, uh, these are words that Paul wrote to his own converts, to his own churches, his own people, and, and they were struggling. So, uh, question, why is it, you know, this is somewhat fascinating to me, why is it that I can, inho- I can hold just an incredible truth in my heart? Um, you know, I can sing about the goodness of God in one breath and, and, and curse them, you know, in, in quotes, in the next. Um, uh, so why is it that I can hold this truth in my heart, but my life can fail to reflect it? Um, I'm, I'm going to argue that, in part, it's, it's, it's far too easy for anyone, ourselves included, to reduce our faith to a cute set of theological... Uh, Theological beliefs, uh, some things that we believe, maybe a worldview, we reduce it to that, we put it in a box and we shelve it. And then we wait for this, for what we imagine and imagine to be some magical 
work of God to just take it out of the box and, and make us do something with it. Um, it's really the it, it's it's very easy for us to to uh, have beliefs and that that we believe and we hold dear, um, but to not plug in uh, uh, the the activation of what those beliefs should do in our own lives. Um, I do want to be clear, uh, when I wrap up, um, this isn't about, I think, this isn't about, uh, uh, Andy used the word this morning, uh, creating fruit or fruit creation. It's not, I, I, I think, I think part of sometimes what we struggle with is, is well, I, I don't want to manufacture this, you know, good works, and so we get kind of stuck in this tension. Um, we'll talk through it. I, I'm not sure I, I know, you know, the the... the um, the, the right um, way to verbalize all of it. Um, sometimes we get so hung up on theology, we we really get distracted about you know just words and uh, you know is this needed for salvation or what's the line where maybe we're not saved any longer or maybe maybe I have some deep spiritual issue that I need help with and. You know, theology is is good and valuable, and I'm a huge fan of knowing what belief what we believe and being able to accurately art- articulate it. That's incredibly important. But sometimes I wonder if we lose sight of the trees because of the forest. Um, and while we argue about different words and applications and meanings, we completely lose the way to let that truth come out in our lives. Um, we make far too many excuses for ourselves, for ourselves and for others. Um, you know the the whole phrase, "Well, nobody's perfect." Um, or, man, if I, you know, if I had had dealt with uh, what he had dealt with, I probably wouldn't be doing it any better. Both of those statements are are hundred percent accurate, um, likely. But Paul doesn't use either of those as he writes to this church. He doesn't make excuses, he, and he doesn't give them excuses. He, he urges, um, very, very emphatic, emphatically, he urges these, these congregation and the congregations in the island of Crete. He urges them uh, to, to be uh, zealous in their pursuit of a functional faith. He, he uses the word zealous, I think, uh, at least one time, maybe a couple times. Um, he, uses, he, he, he urges them to, to, to pursue the kind of faith that produces a life of fruitfulness. I'm not suggesting that we should not be compassionate with ourselves or with other people. Um, the reality is there's, there's, there, there are, are real struggles that we face. And, and so it's not that we, we should not be compassionate. But I do think that we should leave the bar high. And we should hold ourselves accountable for our failures to reach it. Um, I think when we don't leave the bar high, we end up one of the you know we we end up as a statistic in the category of dis, dysfunctional faith. <clears throat> if we wanted to spend a Sunday morning about dysfunctional faith and what happens in the name of Jesus uh, under that category, embezzling money from a fa- from a family member, I'm sure would be one of the least horrifying stories, and so we're not going to spend our, our time on that. Um, um, but it does fascinate me in a twisted kind of way, possibly, how we can claim to be a follower of Jesus. How we, we can, we, you know, I, I, I love him, 
I want to honor him. And, and then, and then like walk out and completely forget it. Like, I, it just, it, it fascinates me. Like what, what, what is it? Um, um, and, and I, as I was thinking through it, this is not necessarily strictly biblical. Like I, I can't point to verses that say this, although we could probably go to different places. But I really thought of three main categories of reasons why I feel like sometimes there's such dissonance between what we say we believe and the way that we live. And the first reason is that we just make allowances or we make excuses uh, for ourselves. So we say things like, ah, God doesn't care about that, or everybody does it, or ah, it's not that big of a deal. So we make an allowance for ourselves um, and, and the dysfunction that we're, we're coming face-to-face with. And the, the, the second reason is we can just be a one-verse Christian. And what I mean by that is it's very, very easy to – so I was thinking through this, I don't know, a while back, and I was thinking – how many truths there are in the Bible that on their own just don't work. And I know that just, they're like, whatever. Okay, let me, I'll, I'll take one that we all agree on. God is love. Wonderful truth of the Bible. Love that, foundational. But if that's the only verse you have, it's a, I mean, it would be a good verse to have if it were the only one. But it's not the whole picture it's not it that's not all there is to god is just his love and and so second reason that i think sometimes our actions can be completely divorced from our faith is because we just fail to take the whole picture we we fail in our uh to to get a holistic understanding of what is a biblical worldview what does it mean you should submit to me that's you know i'm not saying you to me but that you know my wife should submit to me. That's a biblical viewpoint, right? But if, that's, if I camp out on that verse, it's going to get really ugly really fast, um, right? Uh, so so probably, probably not. I don't know. But, uh, um, you know that, so that's just an example of you know, a one-verse Christian. We, we really can, can do incredible harm in the name of Jesus by, by just identifying this one verse and, and, and it's maybe a good verse, and maybe it's pivotal, maybe it's whatever. But that, if that's the only verse in our theology, it really gets ugly. It just, it just goes, it goes – I'm, I'm scared of men that I hear uh, uh, saying things like, you know, you, you should be submissive in this area or whatever. Like, I'm just – I'm terrified by that kind of, of perspective because I feel like it's such a – I feel like it's such a limited view of, of who you should be as a man. Um, now, if I just offended half the men in this congregation, I'm sorry. Um, but, but, uh, uh, so the third, the third reason that, that, um, uh, I believe that sometimes we get disconnected, our actions and faith is we just lie. Frankly, we just lie. We lie to ourselves. Um, we, 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 um, often I think that happens out of fear. You know, we're afraid man, if, if, if somebody found out about this or if, if this was, you know, if, if, this came, if this came out, I would probably be rejected by the community that I love and worship with. And, and so I can't risk that. And so it's much, much more comfortable for us to lie. And in reality, I think the exact opposite is normally true. Um, when we engage with the people around us with brutal honesty, I think we typically find incredible grace coming our way. Um, so, so that's the three reasons I think that we end up in this place where our actions just do just completely fail to reflect our faith. 
So we make allowances. We're a one-verse Christian, and we lie. Um, so I, I do need to say I'm not a starry-eyed idealist. Um, I, I don't believe that with enough time and effort in the Bible and, and, and whatever, that and enough time with Jesus, that we'll be transported into this perfect sainthood. I don't think that... Um, so I don't, I don't believe that. Um, um, that being said, maybe I am a st- enough of a starry-eyed idealist to think that we could all be characterized with enough humility to just uh, to not have to hide our humanity. Um, uh, that we could get behind the idea that our faith is primarily evidenced by our works. That is the primary vehicle with which we have to express our faith. That's it. That is the best mechanism that we have in our toolbox to exhibit the kind of faith we have is by the life we live. Um, I believe Jesus truly is faithful uh, and will cleanse our sin as we confess them. Um, But when we say we have no sin, we make him to be a liar, according to 1 John. Sinless perfection does not seem to be the goal of Scripture. I don't don't think. Sinless perfection doesn't seem to be the goal of Scripture, um, you know, on this side of eternity. Um, we could argue that. Um, but freedom from sin does. Does that make sense? So I do believe that, that, that the, the, the power of the gospel is evidenced in that we're set free from the bondage of sin. We're set free, obviously, from the penalty of sin, um, but also from the bondage of sin. Um, God stepped into history to redeem us from lawlessness and purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's Titus 2, uh, uh, 14, 2.14. Redeem us from lawlessness, purify himself for a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So um, what does this functional faith look like? What does a functional faith look like? That's probably more like a series of messages, not 20 minutes. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface. But I do think that there's a sense of, hol- of, of holisticness that needs to come into our, 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 um, you know, uh, our, our, um, our lifestyles in regards to faith. Um, it's not about just impacting you know, the way that we live in a specific area. But it's really changing the way that we engage with the world um, in, in every area. Uh, there's no part of our life that we can silo off from our faith and not have it impacted. Um, you know, the relationships that we have, um, well, actually, let me just uh, pause, hit pause on that. Let's, let's go look at what Titus says here. Um, so as he tries to... to um, uh, verbalize to these new congregations. I, I shouldn't say new congregations. The book of Titus was written at the end of Paul's life. Um, I, I don't really know for sure, you know, the time frame here on how long the churches of Crete were uh, in operation, but I don't think they were brand new congregations. Uh, Paul does, he does, he gives instruction um, to, to Titus um, he says, this is why I left you in Crete, in, in verse 5, so that you could put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town. And um, So it, it's clear that he is trying to bring some maturity to these congregations in, in the island of Crete. Um, 
let me read. Let me read. I'm, I'm going to uh, jump through this book a little bit and and, and grab some passages. Um, uh, verse chapter one, verse one. It, it, um, um, it, it says it says this. It says God's. Uh, it may, he makes the, the phrase. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. God's elect and their knowledge of the truth accords with godliness. So. Um, you bring uh, uh, um, knowledge of the truth in the church should result in godliness. I, you know, I'm kind of paraphrasing that even further. But uh, that was verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, 16, it says, They profess to know God. They deny Him by their works. Chapter 2, verse 11, God's grace has trained us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and, and live self-controlled, uh, upright lives and godly lives in this present age. Uh, chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus gave himself to redeem us from lawlessness and purify himself for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, he says, remind them to be ready for every good work. And chapter 3, verse 8, those who have believed in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. There's a lot of uh, of, um, uh, I think he, Paul is making it very clear that there's, there's, a, there's an ironclad relationship between the kind of faith that you have and the kind of life that you live. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, 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 an indisputable, indisputable relationship. Um, you know, it bothers me just candidly. Um, you know, there, there's a church in Charlotte, a, a man I know, um, knows people that go to this church, and he, he said once, he said, he said, man, they are they are the most law oriented church in Charlotte. I, I don't remember exactly how he said it, but he said he said those people know how to serve each other. He's like when there's any need uh, any need in the community, he said they've been known to come in and take care of older people in their homes. Uh, and just he just went through this long list of just the way that this church in Charlotte who was so, you know, out of touch with, with you know, the, the New Covenant, um, uh, you know, w- was really impacting the community powerfully because um, uh, of their focus on living a life of good works. Um, and, and it's convicting to me, uh, to be honest, because in some ways I feel like that, uh, you know, my life as a New Covenant Christian it doesn't have the fruitfulness that I always imagined it should. And and I'm not sure, 100% sure where to go with that. I don't feel like we need to, um, we don't need to perform for God so that He'll love us. I'm not I'm not interested in that, and I don't think that is what Scripture teaches. But I am very interested in figuring out how to how to completely and effectively let my love for God be reflected in the kind of life that I live. And I think that is an incredibly biblical concept. So what my life produces is. Is, is a lot more than what we normally think of as works. It's a lot more than what we think of as works. Meaning, I don't think that this is purely about, you know, who serves the most meals at a soup kitchen or helps the most stranded motorists or whatever. Um, in fact, as, as it's inter- interesting to me, as we review the character traits of a mature church, Let's do that right quick. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Uh, Paul 
explains to Titus what mature Christian, the, the kind of lifestyles that he expects to see out of mature Christians. And he says, he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, uh, and, and in steadfastness. In steadfastness. Older women should be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, uh, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that can't be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves should be submissive to their own masters in everything. and everything. Uh, uh, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not proliferating, uh, I'm sorry, pilfering, but sh- uh, showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. So as we review the character traits of a mature, mature church, he, he doesn't say that, um, he doesn't say, he doesn't say don't, don't, don't get angry. That's not in that. He doesn't say don't lie. He doesn't say don't commit adultery. In fact, it almost seems like he's under the assumption that he's talking to people who, who were once these things. And in fact, if you look in chapter 3, verse 3, he says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But then the goodness and kindness of 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 God appeared. So, um, so as we, we look at the character that, that Paul is interested in, in encouraging in these churches, um, we find things like older men should be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, and steadfastness. And then, and then I found it a little ironic that older women just shouldn't give themselves too much wine. And I was like, Paul, are you saying that if older men you know, would be the kind of men that they, ha- they should be, that maybe the women won't have to give themselves too much wine. I'm not sure. But, um, so, but, but Paul is saying that um, he, it's clear that in Paul's mind, he's talking to a group of people that are no longer living the life of sin that they once were. They're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not living that life anymore. They've, they were once that, and now they're not. And so now he's saying... I need to give you a pathway on how to further integrate your faith into the way that you're living and showing up in everyday life. Sometimes, to be honest, I feel like when we get to this section of, of Titus, um, that, that this is kind of where we, we, maybe it's just me, I'm just being candid, where we have this kind of spontaneous spiritual yawn, um, and we di- where we're going to dive into this list of ideals that none of us can quite meet, and, um, and, and we could hear a thousand sermons on on you know how to be this kind of man or this kind of woman, um, I, I think to treat this section of Titus as kind of uh, an exhaustive manual for a character of faith is to completely miss the point. I don't think what Paul is saying here is that 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 I don't think that Paul is trying to give this complete list. Um, it, it, you know that you need to go and you need to now check off one by one. Yep, I got that one. Got that one. Got that one. I'm good to go. I don't think that is the the doesn't seem to be the intent behind this passage, um, and, I'm, and I'm saying that because of this. There are three reasons in this passage, verses 1 to 9, that the word that is used. So we have to look at what is Paul trying to produce 
What is it that he's saying? You need to live this way so that. And what he's saying is, uh, the first passage, he says, that the word of God may not be reviled. Live this way so that the word of God may not be reviled. Live this way so that an opponent may not may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say. Live this way so that in everything we can adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. I, and I think the real heart behind this is our job, our job right now, and our in, in executing on what we believe. Our job is to make God look good. It's, it's a reflection on it's a reflection on our Father. That is our job, to, rem- to make God look good. I tell my kids all the time, I, not all the time, I've told them a few times, you know, the way that you live is a reflection of who I am. And the way that you live reflects how you understand me. It reflects what I've taught you. It reflects what you, be- what you believe about what I believe. Um, um, and I believe the same about who we are as Christians. The way that we live is a reflection of who we understand God to be. Who, who is he to us? Um, what kind of, what kind of father is he to us? And our job is to make God look good. It's to show up in the world and, 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 and be, and and our job as Christians is to attract people to our father because of the quality of lives that we live. And we do that by consistently put our, putting our faith into real action. Um, so I'm going to ask, why is it that we hang on to bitterness and to fear and anxiety and anger? And we, we hide in a corner from the light that God wants to use to illuminate the darkest parts of our hearts. Um, does our faith in God lead us? Does our faith in God lead us uh, to have enough trust in, in God to really obey Him? Uh, there's a, a billboard on the way back from Hickory on Interstate 40. I believe it says this. It says, real Christians forgive. Uh, real Christians forgive their enemies. Anybody see that billboard? Is that what it says? Real Christian, I, um, I couldn't remember if it said real Christians or just Christians, but I'm pretty sure it says real Christians forgive their enemies. I really like the billboard, but I do wish it didn't need to be there. I do wish that in the, in the part of this country that we endearingly known, know as the Bible Belt, that real Christians actually knew what the Bible said. Um, but it is genuinely shocking to me how much illiteracy there is, even in this part of the country, on actual biblical truth. Um, uh, and I believe that that is a result of the fact that it is far too easy for us to reduce what we believe into just a set of, 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 of um, ideologies, of, of, of um, um, ideas, of lifestyle, you know, lifestyle of sorts. We just reduce it down to that. We put it in a box. We put it on the back shelf. That's where we leave it. Um, uh, and we, we fail to allow it to impact the day-to-day of how I actually show up in the world. Um, just the other day, my friend was telling me about uh, somebody that I used to work for. And it was, just, it was just gut-wrenching to me, the hatred and the bitterness and, and, and the, 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 frankly, the idolatry of money that existed in a good Christian family. And, and you know, I just wish that... That, that we could just be honest about, man, that is not where we want to be. And, and I know that in this area of my life, I'm, 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 I'm failing. And, and I, wish, I, wish we could, I wish we could be honest about that. Um, it doesn't have to continue. Um, uh, 
I, I believe we have to be ruthless in our pursuit of a cohesive faith. The gospel is not just here to help people that are on drugs, um, that kill people or otherwise really need some help. I, I think the gospel is for ordinary, regular people like you and me. Um, to, to, uh, the, and God will, will, will change us from the inside out and allow us to be the reflection of his character as a father that he really wants us to be. Um, so in this passage of, of Titus, um, what I hear Paul saying is it's not just a list of character, character traits. It's not a checklist of, of, of um, um, you, know, you know, good qualifications that I should meet, although it is that. Um, but it's really more of, of an examination um, for me to say, am I taking my faith seriously? And, and is, there, is there an area of my life that, that I am failing to, um, um, to let my faith impact, if that makes sense? Um, so I, I really feel like sometimes that, that as people, we can just wait we can just sit in a holding, a holding pattern waiting for a lightning bolt from heaven to say, all right, that's it. I'm going to actually trust God now. That's all I needed. Um, and sometimes I think that God's just waiting for us to put the foot, first foot into the river and, and actually trust him now. Um, I believe we have a crisis on our hands. Uh, we, in this country, maybe whatever, worldwide, but right now in our communities, we have a crisis of malformed faith. We have faith that's dissected and disintegrating. Um, the world needs followers of Jesus now more than ever to step up to the plate and show and demonstrate as evidenced by the quality of lives that they live what the redemptive power of Jesus actually looks like. Um, you know, this is kind of a gut-wrenching statistic, but statisticians say that two-thirds of church-going men view inappropriate material online on a regular basis. Two-thirds. That means if you're a man sitting here um, and you don't, you can look at the man on your right and left, and they do. And please don't, because that's awkward. But um, uh, that is a gut-wrenching statistic to me. And, it's, and, it's, and, and, I'm, and there's, there's no condemnation in that. Um, I, but I am just saying... that. I, 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 to be fair, I like to believe that we're different, and you know that's surely not the case here. And and so I'm gonna I'm gonna believe that until proven otherwise. Um, but I am gonna say that as a church, both this church and universally, we don't have to stay that way. That is not that is not what we've been set free for. Um, I believe that we can do this. I believe that we can show up as men, and we can be the husbands, we can be the dads, we can be the world changers that God created us to be. God has not called us where he will not equip us. You can be sure that we have all, everything we need to be everything we're supposed to be in Jesus. I believe that's the case. Um, we, don't, I, we don't need more words. We don't need more outrage. We probably don't need, even need another sermon. We just need consistent lives lived out in a position of surrender to Jesus and just letting him actually be in the hands and feet that he created us to be. Um, and that's not just an idea that we have in our heads. That's the way that we live. It's real action. So in closing, um, studying for this, I felt like I was all over the place. And so I don't know if there's any clarity that you've gotten, um, but I, I do apologize. I, I do I felt like there's just a thousand other things that should be said. 
Titus 3, 4, I, I want to wrap up with this. Titus 3, 4 says, <clears throat> let me just read it. Um, uh, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us uh, richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I want to back up. It's uh, not through, uh, he saved us, not because of works done by us, even in righteousness. I love that he says in righteousness. He didn't save us because we did good works, even in righteousness. That's not the reason. What I'm describing today is not, we're not trying, um, we're not, um, 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 we're not trying to put put enough good works um, at the foot of Jesus, hoping, hoping that there's enough there to save us. That's not the goal of this. Um, um, this is an assumption that we've already been there. We've already accepted a righteousness that's completely external of ourselves. And now uh, we, we, we've gotten the imputed righteousness, and now we need the applied righteousness. We need to apply it, if that makes sense. I don't even know if that's theologically accurate, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, Martin Luther talks about external righteousness. Um, and he also has a really interesting phrase. He talks about internal righteousness. He says this external righteousness, that's what we're all familiar with, is a righteousness we didn't deserve. It's not our own righteousness. Um, you know, it's a free gift that we received because of what Jesus did. Then he talks about an internal righteousness, which is, is kind of our, our reciprocal response to that. Does that make sense? Um, so... I, I just want to be clear that I'm not advocating that we go back to this old covenant lifestyle where we, we try to work harder so God can love us and bless us. Um, at, at my office, the guys have a, you know, when, you know, if somebody didn't do their job right, um, a lot of times they'll go into our, our instant messaging and they'll put hashtag work harder. Um, and it's a little bit of a joke, but it's kind of a little bit true too. like, you know, come on, you know, get with it. Um, and, and, and I, I, I really do want to be clear that what I'm after this morning is not hashtag work harder. Um, I, I don't think that's that's really. I don't think that's that's what we're trying to. I don't think that's what Paul is necessarily trying to um, communicate in the book of Titus. Um, and I love the way he wraps it up that that it's not because of the work that we've done in righteousness that he saved us. Um, it's it's really because of of the of the gift, the free gift from God. Uh, the United States has spent over $2 trillion, tragically, in, in the country of Afghanistan, um, uh, trying to change the country from the outside. Most of the equipment and the training that we provided ended up in the hands of our enemies um, due to the systematic corruption and the incompetent bureaucracy um, that, that existed. One reporter that I read commented, we can't want for the Afghanis more, uh, we can't want freedom for them more than they want it for themselves. We can't. Um, we have an incredible father who is rich in mercy and grace. And the invitation is that the new nature he gives us will change us from the inside out. Um, first Corinthians 11 instructs us to examine ourselves in order to discover, do my actions align with my faith? And when we take a moment to self-reflect, if we're honest, I wonder if there's just one area maybe that bubbles up to the, to the forefront of, of, of our minds an area that we know that God would like us to change to be a better reflection of his character. And I just think about the three reasons, the three things that I believe 
uh, come to play as we, uh, um, three reasons why maybe the faith that we believe doesn't express itself in the actions that we live, our lies, our excuses, and uh, our, our lack of proper scriptural understanding, being a one-verse Christian. Um, uh, just a few weeks ago, a week before last, I got angry at a guy at my office. And, you know, my first intention, my first kind of thought process was, well, you know, all the reasons it wasn't my fault. You know, like, uh, it's, uh, it, you know, you know how it is. And, you know, the, the, more, the more I thought about it, the more like, it doesn't really matter. All of those external things, you know, and to be fair, it took till the next day for this to be, to really kind of, you know, so it's not like I, you know, um, immediately realized the error of my ways. But, and that, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying that you're never going to get angry. I'm not saying that you're never going to fail. But I'm saying that, that, that we're mature enough and we listen to our faith enough to realize that when we've, when we've, when we've gone off the rails, that we're not going to make excuses about it. That we just own it and we say, all right, here's where it is. We allow the grace of God and we allow the grace of other people um, into that space in our lives. ESV Study Bible, I think, says it best. Um, it's a really good statement. He said, they, it's, uh, they, they paraphrase this, or they make this statement. Um, the best evidence of true salvation is not having raised a hand or prayed a prayer or having been baptized or christened. Instead, the true test of authentic work of God in one's life is sanctification as God continues the moral transformation he began in regeneration. 